Only Jesus. Only Jesus. As we think about, as we have been in the Gospel of John this year so far, we're going to go all the way through the Gospel of John with this series. And we think about we live in a selfie world and how we are so self-absorbed. We are self-conscious. We like to post things about ourselves. We want everything to look just right and what have you. And so this has been going on for eons and eons, for generation after generation, because that is the human nature. And so as we have turned our attention toward the Gospel of John, we realize that we need to see the Savior in this selfie world, because it's never about us, it's always about Him. Amen? And so as we're going through the Gospel of John, we look the past couple of weeks as to who Jesus is and what He has done, as John writes this gospel so that we may believe in Jesus' name and have life in him. And so today we're looking at who he is as the transformer, that Jesus is the transformer. When you hear the word transformer, maybe you think about the little toy that came out in 1984 of a car that if you hold it and move it just right, it turns into a little robot-looking thing. Or maybe it's the new movie that's coming out. So you think about a transformer, Bumblebee, which is a transformer, uh, I think. I haven't been to see it, but I think that's right. But nevertheless, and we think about transformations that take place and how things transform and the transformations that take place. And you've seen many transformations. Maybe it's been the makeovers on TV where somebody has had to lose weight or maybe it's a, a makeup or a clothing that they've done this makeover for her or him. And then you see this transformation as the person comes out. We saw one in our house last night where a little girl who who has always been just my sweet little girl after had, had her older sister do a little bit of makeup for her and she got dressed for a homecoming princess turned into a young lady. We saw that transformation right before our eyes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A transformation that takes place. Sometimes the transformations are remodels of homes, of something that needs to be done. And so we get somebody to come in and fix things and change it. And it's just a transformation how well things look. Or maybe it's a transformation in a business where some, they, they've decided to go in a different direction. And you walk in, you don't even recognize the place because it's a brand new place. And so the definitions as we think about transformations means a basic change of character with little or no resemblance with the past configuration or structure. Or it could be a thorough and dramatic change of uh, form or appearance. We think about it in animals, whether a metamorphosis during the life cycle of an animal, where this transformation takes place. But as we think about transformation, here's what we need to understand and know today as we think about the transforming of things or people, is that there's nothing like the transformation of a heart. There's nothing like the transformation of a life, and there's nothing compared to the transformation that only Jesus makes in the lives of people. Amen? Only he really can transform hearts. Only he really can transform lives because he is the transformer. And we're going to see that in today's passage. We're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Y'all happy to be here this morning? Amen? Amen. And so in honor and reverence to the word of God, we're going to look at John 2. If you'd stand in honor and reverence to that word as I read that for you today. The Bible says, John 2, verse 1 and following. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. 
Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. And this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you, Lord, how it speaks to us as to who you are and what you have done, but also what you continue to do. Lord, give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear your message for us today, that you are the transformer, and that you are in the business of transforming hearts and changing lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd guide us and direct us. If there are those here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, may this be that hour of salvation where they will hear what you need them to hear. Open the eyes of the blind that they may see. But, Lord, for those of us who have had that happen to us already who know you, may it be a time of renewal and refreshing of our heart. Lord, that you would challenge us and cause us to be more in love with you, have a greater passion for you. But, Lord, I confess that I am nothing but your vessel. Lord, may you use me as your instrument. May you hide me behind your cross. And may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline that's in your bulletin today. There's quite a few things in your bulletin today. You've got quite the package there today. But uh, I want you to take a look there at the outline as we follow along and see the transformer and who Jesus is as the transformer. And he, we see, first off, that he's the transformer of the insufficiencies. And when we think about the insufficiencies, we think about the insufficiencies of life. Those things in life that are insufficient. And what we find here in verses 1 through 3, uh, it's these words again. Let's look back again. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were involved in the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So we see the insufficiency here of the planning, the insufficiency of the wine that is here. So the mother of Jesus, Mary, says to him, they have no wine. Now, let's just deal with this issue at the very get-go, because I know there's some questions in our culture about wine. And so some would say, as they read this passage of Scripture, Pastor, does this passage give me permission to drink? And here's the short answer, no. Here's the long answer. No. Okay? Because this was not the purpose of why Jesus changed the water to wine. Was this wine like we think today? Maybe. But understand this as we talk about the wine here in the stories, that wine was a symbol of joy and a symbol of gladness to the Jew. It was commonplace in that culture. But also realize that in that day... They had fewer options as to what to drink. They didn't have the purification processes that we do today, nor the options of what to drink that we have. They didn't have Dr. Pepper. They didn't have coffee. I can't imagine, can you? They didn't have those things. 
And I also realize that there's a great debate about this topic, even among conservative brothers who disagree, who all believe in the heresy of the Scripture. And so here's the thing that I just want to touch real quick and we move on. While we may disagree, different, different folks disagree on alcohol usage, we all typically agree on two points. And those two are this. One, that we all agree that drunkenness is a sin. And secondly, we all agree that leading someone to stumble is a sin. And so on those two points, just by themselves, I'm convinced that I am not to drink at all in this culture today. I got plenty of other reasons, but I'm not going to get into those here because that's not the point of the passage. And so let's get to the point of the passage, which is that Jesus is the transformer and that he transforms the insufficiencies of life. And there's two places here, two things that I think that we can see as he transforms the insufficiencies of life. And the first one is he transforms the insufficiencies of our own excitements. So there are, there are things in life that excite us. There are things that we look to for excitement. And sometimes, listen now, sometimes we mistake those things for excitement for us having joy. And one of the most exciting things in life is a wedding. Amen? That's one of the most exciting things in, in life is to have a wedding, to be involved in a wedding, to be in the wedding. But understand as we look at this passage of scripture that things don't always go as planned, even at weddings. Let me tell you a little story about the very first wedding that I ever did, the one that I ever performed. Back in 1988, that dates me just a little bit, but back in 1988, I was, had been ordained about six or seven months earlier. The first wedding was a high school um, high schoolmate that uh, was a friend of mine who asked me to do her wedding with her fiance at Christmas time. So I met with them throughout the, uh, the, those months that led up to the wedding. And at the wedding, was back, I was serving in southwest Virginia as an associate pastor. I came back to my home church to do this wedding for this high school friend of mine and her fiancé. And so the wedding, I think it was Christmas Eve. I'm not sure, but it, Angie says yes. It was Christmas Eve. All right, good. So it's Christmas Eve. And so we were, I was there, and I was doing this wedding. And the church was beautiful, uh, you know, because it was Christmas time. They had poinsettias, you know, all over the place. They had candles here and there and what have you. And so we'd been to the rehearsal the night before, and we did the wedding the next day. The church was like a long church, cathedral ceiling. Underneath the church was the fellowship hall. So after the wedding, they said, I do. They said that, you know, their vows, they kissed. They walked out the door. They went downstairs to the fellowship hall. I, uh, people disperse, then I leave, and I go downstairs to the fellowship hall. After about 15 or 20 minutes, I go, I smell smoke. And so I ran upstairs to the sanctuary, and it was filled with smoke. These cathedral ceiling was just filled with smoke, and because my heart is just beating a mile a minute. My pastor is not there. He's not far from there. So I call him saying, Pastor, you need to come because there's something going on. There's smoke in, this, in, the, in the sanctuary. So he comes And I look around trying to figure out, and I remembered that in the baptistry, there had been a curtain there, and it was not there. And so I ran up to the baptistry, and I looked in, and the curtain, what used to be a curtain, is all ashes in the baptistry. Praise God for fiberglass baptistries. But what had happened, the only thing we can surmise is that as the couple went out the door, the draft, there there was a candle there in front of those curtains. 
and the draft of the door opening, the curtain came up to the candle, it caught it on fire, and it fell down, and it filled the sanctuary with smoke. Things did not go as planned, as you can imagine. The pastor came, and we got these fans, and we cleared out the smoke. It took a long time to clear out that smoke, and I was at church that next Sunday in my home church, and my pastor didn't say anything about what took place, but he did say this. He said, it's so good to have Joey home with us today, and we know that whether he's preaching or doing a wedding, he can set the place on fire. (laughs) My first wedding, praise God. Never forget it. And so what we know is that weddings, things in life don't always go as planned. Amen? And this wedding that we see in the scripture, it did not go as planned. The family had not planned sufficiently. And what they planned for by way of having the wine was insufficient. And understand that that may not seem like a big deal to us. But in that day, it was a very big deal. Because to run out of wine was more than an embarrassment to that culture. It was an insult to the guest if you did not have the wine. And it even made the groomsmen liable to the bride's family because he was not providing for the guests. And so the family could have sued the groom. So it was a huge event. It was a major crisis that took place. And this could have affected the couple and their families for the rest of their lives. And so all weddings, understand as we think about weddings, all weddings are grand events. But in that culture, it is the event of life. So weddings in that day were different. So here's some ways in which it was different. The first way it was different that I, as I was looking it up this week is that they were different in that day in that in that day, the groom paid for everything. And beloved, I like that. <laughs> I'm just saying, not that I've got a wedding for my daughter here in a few weeks, but I like that the groom pays for it. Amen. And those of us who have daughters, we understand that. But nevertheless, on the night, then the other thing that was different about it is that on the night of the ceremony, the groom and the friends would go to the bride's house. And then they would escort her and her attendants in a grand parade throughout town to the groom's house. And people would, you know, talk to them along the way and give them gifts along the way. And then they'd get to the groom's house where the ceremony and the banquet would be held. The whole ceremony ended in an actual wedding. And this wedding ceremony went on, or the whole wedding party went on for a week. I don't think I like that part, though, right? So celebration, weddings were about celebration, and celebration abounded, and wine was supplied because wine was seen as a symbol of joy. Now, we find in another passage of Scripture that sort of leads to that in Psalm 104, 14, and 15, talks about, uh, we see that, that wine is something that they saw as joy, where it says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. And then in Isaiah 55, 1, we see these words, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so to the Jewish mind, understand that to the Jewish mind in that culture, wine symbolized joy. And so what the family had not planned for was for the wine to run out. And so Jesus' mother now says to him in verse 3, 
they have no wine. So the wine, their wine, was insufficient. Their joy, listen now, their joy was about to end. They needed the wine for excitement. They needed the wine for their gladness. It was a symbol of what was taking place. And so their excitement was about to come to a screeching halt. Now in verse 4, we see that Jesus, as she says to him, they have no wine. Jesus says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now understand as Jesus says, woman, that's not a derogatory term, but rather it's a very tender term toward his mother. But even though Jesus' hour had not yet come, he performs this miracle not so that he could make things okay or what the people, so that the people would be happy, but rather what is happening here is that Jesus was meeting a genuine need to keep this family from a social catastrophe. You see, had it not been for Jesus, their joy would have come to an end. Their excitement was about to be over at this wedding because the wine had run out. The wine had run out. And here's, listen, here's what we need to take away from that passage of Scripture. It's this. Beloved, listen. Unless you know Jesus Christ, there will come a day in your life when the excitements and the joys that you have created yourself, that the wine will run out in your life. The wine will run out. There will come a day when those places where you have sought to find your own excitement, to find your own joy, it will come to an end. The wine of life will run out. Maybe for you it's alcohol. Maybe for you it's sexual immorality. Maybe for you it's pornography. Maybe for you it's spending more money than you make. Maybe for you it's gambling. But you need to understand where you think you're receiving excitement, where you think that may be joy for you, understand that the wine will run out. Maybe that's not what it is for you, but maybe you are finding your excitement, your joy in, in other places. Maybe it's in uh, things like vacations or your work or your activities or your sports. Whatever it may be, we need to understand that apart from Jesus Christ in your life, what and where we have looked to find this joy will eventually run out and the excitements that we have created will end. They will run out apart from Jesus. They will not last and the wine will run out in your life and what you thought was joy, what you thought was excitement will be gone. Because here's the thing, what the world offers to us is grossly insufficient. And when the, when the wine runs out, it's not only embarrassing, but it's shameful. But what Jesus, now listen, but what Jesus offers, as we see in this passage of scripture, what Jesus offers is more than sufficient. Because what this represents is that Jesus is the one who brings real joy. Real joy is found in him. He transforms, listen, he transforms the insufficiencies of our own excitements and he gives us something better. And what is it that Jesus gives us that is something better than the excitements of our life is that Jesus gives us himself. That's what he gives us. He not only brings us, listen, he not only brings us real joy, understand that Jesus is our joy. He is our joy. 
And it's not just any joy, it is a joy that is a lasting joy that is never inadequate and that is never insufficient. His joy is always supplied. John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Understand, beloved, that Jesus is the transformer who transforms us and transforms our lives, that he's the one who cleanses our shame and we're no longer embarrassed, that he provides all that we need by his grace and in abundance. But when we look to the world to give us these lasting excitements that we think we have to go to to get this excitement, to get this joy, to get this happiness, to get this gladness. We need to understand as we continue to go from them that we will come up short. Ultimately, we will come up short because they're insufficient. But Jesus is never insufficient. Amen? Y'all with me this morning? You see, he transformed this situation from a potential embarrassment and potential shame and potential problems to one of gladness and of joy. So the question is, where are you trying to find lasting excitement? Where is it that you try to find lasting joy? Know this, that if it's outside of Jesus Christ, one day the wine's going to run out. But rather turn to Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, turn to Jesus today. Turn to him today. Because here's the thing. Jesus is always sufficient. He always satisfies. He never runs out. He excites the soul. He gladdens the heart. He lightens the load. Amen? That's who Jesus is. He's the transformer. He's the transformer of our own excitements. And he's also the transformer of our own efforts. So not only are our own excitements and our own ways and joys insufficient, but also Jesus shows us in this passage of Scripture that the old traditions and the religious routines were also insufficient. You know, it's no coincidence that Jesus uses some water pots as part of the miracle or the sign here that takes place. If you look at verse 6, it says, Now there was set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So what we see here in these water pots there is that they were part of the Jewish purification process. So every Jew had to go through a purification rite before he could enter the wedding celebration. In order to be pure, they had to wash their hands a certain way. Either the water was poured across their hands or they had to stick their hands into the pot. But they had to be washed a certain way to make them what they considered to be clean. But this is what we know. To to be made pure and to be made clean, water is insufficient. So what are you talking about, Pastor? Then I wasted my time having a shower this morning. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Cleaning the outside, water and soap is what we need, of course. But we're talking about something for the inside. That He transforms our inside from the unclean to the clean. That these ways are insufficient. The ways of the water, the purification, the traditions, the routines, the rituals, these are all insufficient. But Jesus is not. What Jesus is about to offer is the new covenant. He's the new wine and new wineskins. If you look in Luke chapter 5, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says these words. No one puts new wine into older wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and will be spilled. 
The wineskins will be ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says that the old is better. So in other words, what that's saying is that those who required a taste for the old covenant ceremonies and the Pharisaic traditions were not interested in giving those up for the new wine of what Jesus brought and was bringing. That there's a, the new wine of having a real relationship with the Father. And how true that is today that too often we will place ourselves under the authority of our own efforts, our own preferences, our own traditions, our own ways to find and feel clean and pure and to feel like we're close to God. But understand that these two are also insufficient. Because listen, it is not through the efforts that we're coming at and and are seeking to get close to the Lord or to be in a right relationship or to be clean, but rather we find that he is the transformer that we are made clean through Jesus. It is through Jesus that we are made clean. It is by Jesus that we are made pure. And it is with Jesus that we are close to God. How does that happen? Well, it happens because of what Jesus is going to do. Because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. How he took your sin and my sin and went to the cross and paid the penalty that we deserved. That he died taking your death upon himself and died there on the cross, was buried, but didn't stay in the grave, but rose again on the third day. Amen? That's the gospel. It's because of what Jesus did that we're close to him, that we're made clean and pure. It's not our efforts. Those are insufficient, but it is Jesus who does the transforming. All of our efforts, all of our traditions, all of our cultural preferences, all of our yearnings for my way in this selfie world, hey, listen, they leave us bankrupt. They offer no hope. They offer no real joy. And so we try to make those things last as long as we can make them last, but ultimately understand that the wine will run out here as well. And we'll wonder, why did we spend so much of our energy on our own efforts? Because what we needed to do is simply turn to Jesus because he's in the business of changing our hearts. He's seeking for hearts to be changed. He shows us that real transformation does not come from our excitement or from our efforts, but rather real transformation comes through Jesus and by Jesus and when we're with Jesus. He transforms our insufficiencies, our own excitements, and our own efforts, and he transforms, secondly, what's on the inside. He transforms what's on the inside. Let's look at this story there again in verse 5 and following. His mother says to the servants, so the wine, out of wine. Mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. The Bible tells us here that there were six water pots of stone, according to the man of purification of the Jews, contained 20 or 30 gallons apiece. We don't know if they were half empty, three-fourths empty, all the way empty or what. But Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And so they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now, let me just ask you, wouldn't you love to have been one of the servants during this time? Because the servants knew, as it tells us here in a minute, the servants knew what kind of water this was. This is water out of the purification water pots. The water is not clean. The water has to be not, you know, 100% pure there. And And so the servant is is obeying the Lord Jesus. They take the water. They dip some out. The master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. Can you imagine the servant saying, it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to do when he drinks this water, right? He didn't know where it came from, but the servants had drawn the water. Well, they knew where it came from. 
The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Maybe the servants are thinking, buddy, you're getting ready to get it. In verse 10, he says to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you've kept the good wine until now. Something has happened. We don't know when the water turned to wine. Was it in the water pot? Was it in the chalice from there over? Was it when the guy picked it up to drink it? We don't have a clue. But we do know that it was changed. It's interesting that the water pots are not the central part to this story. And you know why they're not? Because it's not about the water pot. It's about what's on the inside of the water pot, right? That's what matters. Because Jesus transformed what was on the inside. It was on the inside of the clay vessels. Because that which is on the inside, once Jesus transforms it, it is far superior to what used to be there. You know, isn't that kind of like us too? You know, well, we, we're concerned about what's on the outside, not what's on the inside. Too often, we're more concerned about what's on the outside instead of what's on the inside. Man, we, when we post our pictures on Facebook or on social media, we want only the best. We never see anybody who is, who is posting the picture when they first get up in the morning. Right? We, we don't see the pictures of arguments. We don't really want to see those. We don't want to share those, Right? And, and, and then you think about how we want things to always look good on the outside. When, you, when we know somebody's coming over to our house, what do we do? Well, we take everything that's in our living area. We don't want people to go upstairs. We don't want to go downstairs because we have shoved everything in those plot spots and everything in those closets because we want everything to look just right for the people who come. They, we don't want them to see our mess. Isn't that true? We don't want nobody to see our mess. But let me tell you something. Jesus deals in messes. He deals in what's filthy in the water pot, these earthen vessels. And he transforms it to something new. Has a brand new identity. Because right now, as we look at what's happened here, no longer is there water in the water pot. It is a new identity. It is now wine. It's completely changed. All the water has dramatically transformed. Nothing was added to the water. It's just water. But now it's no longer the same. It seemed like maybe the groom had kept the good wine until the last. As the master says, surely it was the sweetest, the freshest wine anyone had ever tasted. Because this wine didn't come from the normal process, from grapes and vines and earth and the sun. No, the creator himself, the Lord spoke and it brought this wine into existence. There's been a complete chemical change that took place. It's no longer water. It's, a, it's a completely a new identity. It's been completely transformed into something that's different, something that's better, something that's wonderful. And undoubtedly, it caused great joy to the whole wedding party because of what was now inside those vessels. Beloved, I'm here to tell you today that when you trust Jesus Christ by faith, that that's what takes place in your life as well. That which is inside of you is no longer the same. It is no longer the filthy and the impure. It is now the clean, the fresh, the abundant, the substantial, the full, the wonderful, the extravagant, and it gives us joy. That's what has taken place when we receive Jesus Christ by faith. We trust that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again bodily from the grave. We believe that he did that for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
Watch this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are, have become new. Your heart, your life, all about you has been completely transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. It's no longer filthy water in these earthen vessels, but we have been made new through the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that he is the transformer. And as it transforms us, as he transforms our heart and he transforms our lives, other people will see that. And it brings joy to their hearts and lives as well that they need what you have. In Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3, we read the psalmist says this. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. That's joy. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Is that you today, beloved? Is he the one who has brought you up out of a horrible pit? Is he the one who has brought you out of the miry clay? Is he the one who set your feet upon a rock and established your steps? Well, then there should be a new song in our heart of joy for him. Amen. Because of what he's done. And many are to see that in our lives and fear the Lord and put their trust in him because what he has done in your life and in my life. I'm telling you, he's the transformer. And he transforms what's on the inside. Not only does he transform the insufficiency in the inside, but he also transforms the insight as well. When you look at verse 11, we see that it tells us why. John writes why Jesus did this. I mean, maybe you're wondering, why in the world did Jesus do something like this? Verse 11 says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. It tells us right there why Jesus did this, and it gave his, the people around him a new insight. You see, Jesus has been invited to this wedding with his mother and his disciples. They're at this wedding. And so who is Jesus to the community and to the, to the wedding gathers as he is there? Well, before anything happens, who, what do they see about him? Who is he? Well, he's a nice guy. It's Mary's son. But who the disciples see him as? Well, they know that he's a teacher, so they've called him rabbi. There's five disciples at this point. They know that he's the lamb of God because of what John the Baptist has told them. But now he gives them a new insight. The Bible says he manifested his glory. You know what that means? That means that he dis- his deity was on display. What he is doing is he's giving them an insight into who he is. Is that he reveals that he is God. Watch this. He is God who is able to do the miraculous. That he is God who showed that he is able to completely transform and to create. And so he transforms their thinking, he transforms their assumptions, and he transforms their insight to know that this is no ordinary wedding goer. There's something about Jesus. And disciples now know, and we now know, that he is God. Hey, let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? If you're not sure who he is, let me help you. He is God. He is God who is able who is powerful and able to change and transform and create something out of nothing. 
He's able to change your life. He's able to transform your children's life. He's able to transform your grandchildren's life. He's able to transform that drunkard's life, the prostitute's life, the drug addict's life. He's able to transform uh, the people down the street, the people down the road, the people across the way, the people across the ocean. He is still in the business of transforming lives. He can transform your life. He can transform your insufficiencies, you on the inside and the inside as to who he is. Because he is the transformer. Y'all with me? I'm telling you, he's the transformer. And he transforms the insufficiencies. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me help you. Jesus transforms our shame to satisfaction. He transforms our panic to peace. He transforms our worry to wonder. He transforms our uncertainty to unbelievable assurance. He transforms our hand wringing to our hand lifting. Amen? And he transforms. He transforms our insufficiencies, but he also transforms the inside. He takes us from filthy to flesh, to, to fresh. He takes us from corrupt to clean, from polluted to pure, to, from being dirty to being delightful. And he transforms the inside, the insight that we need to have as to who he is. And here's the transformation that needs to take place as we think about Jesus as the transformer. Here it is, is that he is God and we are not is that he is able and we can't, and that he never fails, but we do, and that he knows best, but we don't. Amen? He's the transformer. He has transformed you. He's transformed me. And if you're not one of those people, he can transform you today. Amen? He's in that business because he loves you. Now, there's one to do, and the one to do is scriptural that we see here today. Because the mother of Jesus says what we need to do. It applies to us today, verse 5. The mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That's your to-do today. Whatever Jesus says to you, then do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Well, what has Jesus said for me to do? Well, I'll tell you, no matter who you are, he said this. Come and follow me. Come and follow me, he says. And so do it. Follow Jesus Christ. Let him be the Lord of your life, the master of your life. Trust him by faith, turning from sin, turning to Jesus. Embrace him, believing with all your heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave and profess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Whatever he says, do it. Come and follow me. And then once you follow him, once you say you're going to follow him, then what else do you need to do? Whatever else he says to do. He tells us in his word what we need to do. Watch and pray. Trust and obey. And over and over again, we find what we need to do. Go and tell. Whatever he says do, do it. Amen? Be his disciples. All right, so here's the thing, all right? So if you're asking me today, after hearing this passage about Jesus turning water into wine, maybe you'll say, well, pastor, does this give me permission to drink wine? And I'll say, yes. Why, yes, it does. But there's a name to that wine, and his name is Jesus. Because Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Because here's what we know. He's the one, listen, he's the one who satisfies. He's the one who is sufficient. 
He is the one who excites the soul. He is the one who changes the inside. He is the one who makes us new. He is the one who is able because he is God and because he is the transformer and he is our joy and he is Jesus. Only Jesus. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for dealing with us. Lord, to know that you're able, still able to transform hearts and lives. And we pray, Father, that there's someone here who's never trusted you by faith. As we sing this song, they just come down, take me by the hand of one of these other pastors and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And we'll pray with them. And they'll ask you to be the Lord of their life. And you'll do it. We also pray for those of us, Lord, who are disciples already. That, Lord, you would speak to us through this passage of Scripture. That you speak to us what we've heard today. To remember that our lives were filthy and you've made us clean. That we were dirty, but you've made us delightful. That you have changed and transformed us. It's what's on the inside that matters. And it's all about you, what you've done in and through us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater passion for you. And that we would remember what you've done for us. And that it would overflow in our lives so that it would be seen by the people all around us. And that we can trust you and obey you and follow you because you are, have been, and will always be the transformer who transforms lives as you change our hearts. For we pray that you'd have our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Oh, how he loves.